Hey guys! Hello! Welcome to Crimes, Creeps and Coffee. This is your special part tour. Steph's going to be finishing off her story of... Dennis Nilsson! And I'm going to be going into paranormal. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm Charlotte. I'm Steph! Hello! And that obviously is Nick. <laughs> Nick's not going to be giving us any UFO no, news this nothing. week because he's got nothing. But I well, think... it's not that, it's because we've already done an episode this week. We have. This we is... have, yeah. And that... His part on that was pretty extensive, so we thought we'd give your brain a little bit rest from all that UFO-ness <laughs> and just carry Fill on. Fill it with murder. Fill it with murder and <laughs> paranormal. Yeah. Or, although, I did work out, I'll come to it after you finish this, I did work out how long it would take to flush a human body down a toilet. So there oh, you, did you? So there you go. Yeah, okay. So I think we're going to go straight into it, so let's take it away, Steph. victims um, more than Dennis Nilsson's background himself so we went through the 15 uh, victims that he killed and also allegedly killed because obviously there wasn't any other evidence other than uh, Dennis's uh, sort of recollection of it as he was telling police about the whole story. It was quite obvious last time when we went into the victims how he had a certain MO of killing his victims so it was all sort of picking them up at a, a gay bar and or, or like finding them in dreary circumstances bringing them back to his flat and then sort of getting them drunk, putting them in bed and then killing them either with strangulation and then finishing off with, with drowning. So um, with this episode I'm going to get into more of his background, what sort of made that an interest of his and also the psychology between um, when you kind of get into strangulation as well. I've got a, a nice sort of heartier explanation of why strangulation is, is chosen by these sorts of um, serial killers. But for now we'll get into his background. So we will start with his birth, which is generally a good place to start, um, which was the 23rd of November 1945. He was born in stricken Aberdeenshire um, to a Scottish mother and a Norwegian father. Unfortunately, his father was an alcoholic, which led to his parents divorcing when uh, Nilsson was four. His mother remarried and sent Nilsson to live with his grandparents, uh, but unfortunately he was sent back after um, to his mother after a couple of years. I couldn't find out why specifically, but um, he definitely went back. Nelson claimed um, that the first significant traumatic event happened when his grandfather died, who he loved dearly, like he had a really strong connection with his grandfather, so his strict Catholic mother was insistent that he went and viewed the body before it was buried. That's a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, she was she was very adamant that he was going to go and see this body. Okay. So with this in his stepfather's lectures on impurity of the flesh, this helped Nilsson sort of form this dysfunctional view of the dead. He sort of, from, from the documentaries that I saw, he definitely sort of took this moment and he sort of used the love that he had for his granddad, but also the interest that he had now with this death. Yeah. So he kind of fused them together in sort of this weird fusion of love and death, really. It was just a, a very strange sort of pinnacle moment in his life. So, sorry, what did his stepfather say, sorry? Uh, so they had lectures on impurities of the flesh. Okay. It's a bit of a weird thing, do you not think, that to have a lecture on? They were very religious. Well, yeah, I can Catholicism. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty standard. Yeah, so it, was, it would be the early 50s, late 50s. 
kind of thing. Okay, sorry, yeah, carry yeah. on. So this fantasy and this view of the dead carried on when he started fantasizing about um, dying in the same circumstances as his granddad. So his granddad was a fisherman and he died at sea. So um oh. yes, yeah, so died drowning at sea. Dennis used to um fantasize about this and sort of fantasize about dying at sea and sort of kind of reenacted it and and was you know that was a fantasy that kind of explains the partial drowning then as well yeah not only that but he also started to experiment with makeup so he would make himself look as though he was dead and he would apply this makeup to himself and then he would lie on a bed but he would put a mirror next to the bed so that he could see the vision of death as, as he was pretending to be dead. So fully romanticising the yes. aspect of death. Yes. Of a dead body and... Absolutely. And how old again was he at this point? So, so it was just after his grandfather's death. So he, um, his grandfather died when he was six. Six. Oh, right. So not long after. That's quite young. Yeah. yeah, but this was something that he kind of carried on throughout um, throughout his entire sort of. Uh, so you'll you'll sort of see that he got into. He was a an army chap, so he carried this sort of fantasy out in the army, and then also into the police force as well, which he actually um, was 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 a part of for a while. Okay. So he definitely had this this image of death in his head, even though there was no dead bodies at this part. Yeah. So I got a quote from him. Um, so this were, they police actually interviewed Dennis Nilsson, obviously after the whole events when he was kind of giving his recollection of the whole entire thing. And this is a quote from, from Nilsson. The making of myself look dead has nothing to do with death itself. It was to make myself look as different from me as possible. Now then, to his first occasion, uh, you have this young man who's dead. I've bathed him and now he's me. I'm the body in these fantasies. And so what do you do with him? What do you do with a body? Would you leave him on the floor or would you do other things with it? Yeah. Yeah. You said he had sex with the corpses mm-hmm. after the, well, after they became corpses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he <laughs> fantasised and romanticised that whole entire image. Yeah. So it's a bit grim. Absolutely. It was a very interesting sort of moment of his life. Yeah. No, another thing that Nilsson liked about um about the whole dead body thing was um having power over a lifeless, submissive body. He really liked the idea of dangling limbs as he picked them up and moved the bodies. That really appealed to him. He liked the whole kind of dangling, lifeless, submissive, not saying a great deal well, not saying anything body. Yeah. So um again that's something that really made him um happy. <laughs> and again, he still feels like a spirited communication with all of his victims that we um, that we went through. So all of his fifteen uh, victims, he he just felt connected with them at all times. So Nilsson was a police officer just before um, the time of his murder. Um, First murder. First murder, sorry, by the time of his murder. <laughs> During the time of the mur- murders, he was a civil servant. How about that? He lived alone in, his, uh, in the London suburbs. Uh, he was intelligent, ordinary, and he, uh, he never came across as dangerous. So, again, he was this nice guy. He just came across as this beautiful chappy that, you know, was, was approachable. That's, and that's what they say, like, psychopaths are, though, don't they? They say that they can be... Well, I think people expect them to be monsters. Yeah, but you don't yeah. realise that the monsters can be looking back in the mirror. That's it, exactly. Exactly. And what was that? Um, I think statistically you can walk past three psychopaths in a week and not know that they're, they're psychopaths. They're quite sociopaths are more common. Sociopaths are more common, yeah, That's but true. they say that you, I think it's three have psychopaths a, a week. Uh, just have a look at how many psychopaths uh, per... There is estimated around about 3,000 to 4,000 
psychopath in the UK alone, and we encounter them one psychopath every day. What? Yeah. So they're not just classed as sociopaths. Oh, right, okay. That's yeah. So we've, we've, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, we've passed a therapy. Okay, we've passed Average like, of one a day. Yeah. Interesting. I guess that's probably if you live in a city. I doubt yeah. out in the sticks is like we Maybe are. more so out in the sticks. <laughs> you reckon? Yeah. What do you think that? Because you got to think you only meet a certain amount of people and if you notice that there is a lot of like crime in cities and stuff. Yeah, but I'm talking about the sheer volume of people you meet yeah. or come across. In the yeah, there is that. So other parts of like Nils- uh, Nilsson's background um, is he fell out massively with his brother over a disagreement on a homosexual relationship. So um, his family was very much kind of anti-homosexual. So again, it was sort of like that. The, the sort of time because yeah. we were in like fifties, so and it was ca- they were Catholic as well. Yeah, and they were Catholic, so it was frowned upon very, very much so. So much so, he fell out with his brother so much so that they didn't actually speak ever again. Oh, okay. Yeah. When Nielsen was in the police force, he actually caught a gay couple whilst on patrol, um, but he completely ignored it um, and let them carry on, even though it was fully illegal at the time, which was in December nineteen seventy three, which is also the time that he resigned from the force. He spent a lot of time gay bars even prior to um, the escalation of the killings as well he spent a lot of time in gay bars because again like it's it's sort of um, it's it's good to sort of be with like like-minded people. people yeah absolutely so this bit's interesting Nelson actually had a relationship before his um, his, his murder spree kind of escalated with a chap called David Gillican okay um, after spending the night together Nelson had a romantic breakthrough he had never encountered before so he actually really 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 like this guy, they were in a good relationship. Yeah, they talked about the future and went flat, hunt- flat, flat hunting, flat hunting, flat hunting, flat hunting. Close enough. <laughs> one of those flats being the infamous one nine five Melrose Avenue, which was the first place where all of the murders, murders happened. Majority of them, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. They were in a relationship for two years and bought a dog called Bleep. How cool is that? Like a dog. That is a pretty bleep. cool bleep. Fucking bleep. Bleep. Get yeah. here, bleep. That's cool. I like it. It's a good. It's a good name. Mm. And yeah, they lived together. Um, life. Yeah, they lived together. Well, lived in two years. <laughs> Do you not mean they live? Well, they they also lived. So they they lived. They they did life. Okay. No. Have you not heard that before? No, no I cannot say I've heard that phrase before. Oh, okay. Well, they, they but did. they lived together. They lived. They they did the 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 adjective Adult. of lifing. They adopted <laughs> together. Yeah, they lived together. And but however, uh, Gillikin's uh, feelings started to waver. This was apparent in home videos. So these home videos, I've kind of seen clips of these home videos that they made. Dennis kind of comes across as like a really, uh, like a control freak in these sorts of situations. So there was one instance where he was lying down, he was um, he was topless, but he had a blanket covering the bottom half. And the video is him kind of cutting in and then sort of zooming in on his face. But um, Nielsen was sort of like, became really irritated because he instructed David to shoot that shot from his feet up to his head and he was just swearing and he was just generally vexed. He was the main actor in this tape and he just he just sort of ended a lot of those those clips with just bloody cut sort of thing. Is so he's a director. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he was he was great. He was trying to be in control of those situations. So um, and you can find those videos on. Oh yeah, they're all YouTube. online. Yeah, they're all on YouTube, so you can definitely find them. And yeah, so they split up, and uh, David Gallagher uh, died in 1992 with unrelated circumstances. Okay. So did he ever ever speak out much about the murders and Nielsen? No, because they were together before the 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 murder started happening. I know, but did he did he give many interviews? The police must have interviewed him at some point when they were investigating Nielsen and the murder. Mm, I, I couldn't find anything that was a, a direct account of his perspective of the whole thing. Or, no, I'm I'm on about more his life or what he was like as a person apart from his few ten videos. Did he never give any testimony to his character before? Well, they don't when, when they were together. They'd obviously got the, the videos um, because the, the, mm. the police were using that as sort of a, a, a profiling sort of yeah. thing. Character yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So they were building up a case that, like from these videos and sort of like this, these accounts, but as a specific sort of do you think as to what happened, then they weren't quite so yeah. direct, I suppose. But he died in 1992, so um, like it was quite a while afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 80s. The killings were, yeah. Yeah. Started while he was he was born. What? <laughs> he had a relationship with the David in the eighties. No, he started his murder in nineteen seventy eight, wasn't it? Nineteen seventy eight. See, I didn't pay attention. Yeah. Okay, nineteen seventy eight. So it was early se- late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. 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 They, well, they were only together for two years, so yeah. they lived. They lived in two years. <laughs> All the life. So skipping forward, after obviously after that, the the murders kind of happened. Mm-hmm. The the sort of same thing that we went through on last episode. Uh, that's where we kind of that's where he got into his escalation of um, starting with the whole strangulation with cords, and then getting onto bare hands, and then um, getting onto full on dismembering them, and then boiling them, and then th- flushing them down the toilet. So yeah. there was a, a lot of escalation. No professional analyst of the situation really knows what made him kill. Obviously, there was this incident with his grandfather that had the whole sort of fascination with death. But what actually flicked that switch on that night, nobody really kind of, no, nobody really knows. Yeah. Nielsen sort of indicated at one point that the combination of alcohol and music just really ramped him up. But whether that would ramp him up to the point where he'd want to kill is, again, questionable. Yeah. When he was sentenced, it was a jury of uh, 10 to 2 decided that Nielsen was fully accountable for his actions. So it was it was claimed that he wasn't, it, he was completely sane. Like, there was no mental illness present. So no insanity plea. No, there was no insanity plea. Why is it up to a jury, though, to decide that sure is the job of a psychologist not a jury I think. Uh, no because it can be with court like, cases like that that it's a jury would decide if it was murder via incapacitated ability which is like insanity plea as such or murder with a premeditated and he's self-aware of it yeah i think the general sort of um from what i from what i gathered earlier the general thing for uh, pleading insanity insanity was you've either got to do it and not know what you're doing is wrong or know what you're doing is wrong but un- unaware of your actions. They're the only sort of times that you can sort of plead insanity. 
But mm. Dennis was fully aware of what he was doing and he knew it was wrong. I thought he said he couldn't remember a lot of the, the things that he did. But the things that he did remember, he was fully aware that... Don't forget, he only got charged for six of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, like, those six instances, they, they still were, like, you knew what you were doing. Oh, okay. Um, and also, like, this this sort of next bit was, was, was quite interesting and sort of reinforced the non-insanity thing. So, when it came out that N- Nielsen not only had dismembered his victims, but when he boiled their heads and remains um, in a pot. There was one morning that he was he went to, he put a, a head in simmering in a in a boiling pot overnight. He left it on a low slimmer, uh, low slimmer, low simmer, and went to bed. The next morning, he got up, made himself breakfast next to the simmering head, buttered a piece of toast, and then turned up the heat so that the head would simmer slightly more intensely. Now that doesn't sound like somebody that doesn't know what he's doing. If, that's in my most humble opinion. What? If, yeah, in my most humble opinion. That sounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, it completely turns my stomach. No, it does. Can you imagine putting a piece of toast next to a just a, a pot of head? So now you guys know about the background of Dennis Nielsen and his victims and all of that beautiful business. Um, I thought we can get into the psychology. Beautiful of... business. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that's not really beautiful, but as beautiful as beautiful as murder can go, you know. <laughs> it was. It was a kindly murder. A yes. Kindly murder. A kindly. I've only seen it written down, guys. <laughs> Never going to be able to live that down, ever. Ever, ever, ever. So the psychology of um, what Dennis Nilsson sort of did with his killings was quite interesting because obviously his main uh, sort of point of, of murder was strangulation and then finishing it off with the drowning. So a lot of psychologists sort of uh, feel that uh, murderers use strangulation as uh, it's sort of not only quite personal, but also uh, you can't, there's no immediate visible marks from strangulation. So you can you can kill somebody and there won't be any marks like quite instantaneously. Yeah. I always assume that there'd be some kind of redness or maybe not bruising, but definitely a redness. I mean, you've got to think though. Quite straight away with you. You'd you... get the redness, yeah, but... But you've got to think that the body, when you your oxygen is like deprived, the blood goes straight to the amenities that is needed. So your heart, your brain, like the mm. stuff that it needs the blood. So yeah. it takes it away from the area that you would yeah. be. Okay, well, let me put it another way. I didn't know you could be dead and still develop bruises. You oh, can... God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yes, absolutely. What's it called? Uh, li- uh, liver livermosis. Mo- liver mortis. Yeah, yeah, liver yeah. Because mo- you get rigor mortis, which is the sniff- stiffening, the sniffening. Stiffening, Stiffening of, the of the joints and the muscles. Yeah. And then you get liver mortis because you spoke about it in your first case of the little girl. Yeah, with the blood pooling on the top of her legs, it, it definitely um, happens post-mortem because you'll find that the blood pools in in certain ways. That's how you can tell where somebody died or like how a body was positioned at time of murder because the body pooling would have uh, like sort of been in the way where they were lying down on the floor. So basically the lowest point of the gravitational pull. So, oh, okay. so for example, if you find a corpse that's face down, <clears throat> yeah. but it's got all the blood pooling on the back. Yeah. Mm. Like criminologists and forensic pathologists will be like, well, obviously they've been moved. Yeah, they've been moved, absolutely. So that they would then do the procedural linkage yeah. to it. And it's yeah, quite interesting. I saw, a, I saw a picture of a body, like just casually as I was scrolling as through. As you do. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Instagram, yeah. as you do. <laughs> and um, there was this chappy who died, but he fell, he, he died on his front, but his hand was underneath him as he died. So the pressure of his hand when they moved him back off um, and rolled him over he had this perfect handprint where the blood pooling was around his his hand so yeah there's a lot that happens sort of um post-death which is quite interesting yeah Yeah, no i just i just didn't i just 
Didn't assume bruises would develop. That's uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Something new definitely. There you go. Yeah, there's something new. Learned something new. Um, and I thought that uh, Dennis Nilsson would sort of opt for this sort of thing because he liked that picturesque body. He wanted that that fantasy that he'd created throughout his entire life of this perfect white sort of lifeless body. So any bruises at that sort of situation would have been like it, it comes across as very forceful, and I don't think that's what he was kind of going for. Yeah, because it if would he... ruin his doll in a sense. That's yeah, because that's in essence what he was creating he was creating his perfect doll that's it and because if you think like when you bump into something it's not until a few days after that you find a bruise has developed on your skin mm-hmm. and then you're like well how the hell did I get that yeah, bruise that's true. yeah the that's whole bruise true. situation the whole bruise itself um, takes up seven to uh, seven to eight weeks for it to become um, in full sort of motion for it to appear and then drain um, like for the whole process what is a bruise it's um, so it's basically um, right so science science, science it, yeah. Steph Go, yeah science science so it's the breaking. Uh, so it's the breaking of uh, blood under the, uh, the the surface of breaking of capillaries. Uh, you'll find that um, when bruises first start out, you go from red to a blue, which is where the blood changes from. Uh, that's also why um, in bruises you uh, you only find bruising around the, the point of impact because the, the the broken capillaries would have only been would have broken around the point of impact rather than the point of impact itself. So that's why when you've been like hit with a hammer, say for example, you see hit um, with a hammer. Yeah, like yeah. you know, casually. <laughs> Oh my god! You smash it with a hammer. That's it, exactly. But the, you know, it's it's beautiful because you just paint a beautiful picture where you've been like hit. It's beautiful. Not with a hammer, you don't. I mean, you hey, use, it's you, you're using beautifully today, quite liberally. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Everything yeah. is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, murder. Beautiful. beautiful it's not beautiful it's a messy <laughs> messy subject it's not beautiful yeah so um we'll go into the the definition that i have for strangulation so uh the definition i have is obstruction of blood vessels and or airflow that to the neck resulting in, in asphyxia uh you can't be a little bit choked um it's kind of like saying you're a little bit pregnant it's it doesn't happen you're either you're either pregnant or you're not or you're either choked or you're not yeah. the asphyxiator process only happens when you've been fully cut off of oxygen to uh, the the brain and again sort of the brain coming back down uh, the deoxygenated oxygenated blood so choked is only a term equally applies to somebody who's dead um, no. when you get to that sort of asphyxiation process when the the whole oxygen is being cut off from the oh, brain right. okay. and then coming down okay. so you have to reach that point in the process but you can have that when you are still alive okay and that also that kind of leads into the whole you know the asphyxiation fetish where you get to that point yeah like what was that actor who they found him in a cupboard David Carradine. There was yeah. definitely one, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kim Kilbilly was found in yeah. a cupboard in ladies' underwear yeah. and he strangled him. Well, that's yeah. it. Fixation he was fetish. a fixie wanking. Yes, that's it. That's it. And it's, yeah. it, it's kind of. <laughs> What an amazing picture that is. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a medical term, a fixie wanking. I don't, I don't think it is. It is. Is it in the Oxford Dictionary? I bet it is. If not in the Oxford, it's definitely in the urban. Look it up. It needs to be. Look it up. It's there. That's awesome. So, yeah, the um, the endorphins and the sort of, the general sort of, um, the, the kick that you get at that moment is enough for somebody to have a fetish over it. So, you know, mm. it's, it's a powerful thing. Fixie wanking. What did you say? I like that. It's cute. Ricky Gervais does a good bit where he's talking about how you get into a fixie wanking. <laughs> and like, does it start one day, maybe when your collar's a bit too tight and you go, ooh. <laughs> <Well, laughs> that's how it starts, maybe. Just, 
No, just no. <laughs> Let's not, okay? You're never going to go see uh, somebody buttoning up their shirt as at the gate. I say the same again. <laughs> no, you're not. It's going to be like the bottle of wine thing all over again. <laughs> or secret... No, so that was it. Sorry, secret places. Secret places. Let me explore your secret places. And there's Steph sat at the end of the bar going, oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good chat of mine, you know? I'll take that. I'll take it. So, um, during asphyxiation, um, this can kill brain cells off. Um, also have permanent damage to the throat and the vocal cords because obviously the amount of pressure that you've got going on in that neck is enough to do some damage. Uh, you lo- lose consciousness in about 5 to 15 seconds and then about fifteen to 10, uh, 10 to 15 minutes that's when death occurs which kind of explains his finishing off by drowning because obviously f- uh, 10 to 15 minutes is a long time to just hold somebody in that one position with that yeah. constant pressure. Yeah, yeah it it's a long time so you can kind of see why he did the whole drowning to finish them off sort of thing. Plus that I think was also part of his not mo but like his fantasy because yeah. he, when he his grandfather died like you spoke of earlier he fantasized about it and he made himself look like he drowned and posed himself yeah. and he posed his army comrades yeah as if they'd been yeah. like as if they'd just died in combat so yeah absolutely yes. it's got a significance to it definitely hasn't yeah it? that's it whether it's cleansing them somehow or yeah, yeah another or form of bathing them ritual, yeah. Um... yeah the affectionate was down there as well when he went into the bathing hall situation way of sort of cleaning them up yeah. to yeah still gross for his for his ways <laughs> so um here's a bit of um science for you guys so unconsciousness occurs by the blocking of the carotid artery yeah uh, she'd go she did we got it this. yeah we got this you got this <laughs> pronunciation is key um which is depriving the brain from oxygen and then by blocking the jugular veins um it's preventing the deoxygenate deoxygenated blood to leave the brain and then to obviously make its way around the body and in your exhale as you breathe out so um closing all the airways so that breathing is impossible and again that's where you get all the trauma and whatnot on the inside i actually found this out so it actually um it takes the weight that's needed for this um asphyxiation process to happen you need three times 33 pounds of weight behind you to 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 put enough pressure on somebody's throat to to cut off their airways essentially how many, how many kilos of pounds in a kilo do you know we're not american so we don't we use proper um, measurements <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? Just because the average man probably weighs around seventy-five to eighty kilos. So oh, I'm just most people how... over here use pounds and. Well, older people, our generation tends to use kilos, don't they? Well, it no, I, I don't know kilos. I know pounds. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering. That sounds like quite. So a basically, hefty. It's, it's you've got to compare it. Like you've got to think how much that corpse is. Well, at that time they're still human. They're still alive, so how much their body weighs compared to comparative to the body of the killer? Yeah, and then it's got to be their how they are strangling them as well. Because yeah. if it's like laying down, it's going to be easier to put that weight on because you can put your full force behind it. But if they're stood yeah. up, it's going to be harder. I suppose at that point, that's why you use the 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 kind of uh, headphone cords and whatnot to use yeah. as implements to sort of as a, um, a ligature. Yeah, yeah. ligature strangulation. Because you can get more um, power behind it. Yeah, really. Kind Absolutely. Of really. <laughs> Five pounds. Well, a pound down at Poundland, three pounds in the. I'm not going there. I'm sorry, that was going super dark. Those headphones were worth the money, by the way. Basically, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You pay a pound down in Poundland for a pair of headphones, but it causes you three pounds of grief. (laughs) It's a little bit more than grief. Yeah, a little bit. Three pounds of death. Just, just, I'm just, 
mischieved by this. Yes. So the method that um, is used by killers, um, according to according to uh, a lady called Helena Hakkinen. 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 Yeah, that that sounds about right. We'll go with that. My pronunciation is is on point today, she guys. She sounds German. Yeah. She, there's a lot of there's a lot well, of. Hakkinen is. Like, no, carry on. Yeah. Probably Danish or something. I think. Uh, there's a there's a lot of. I'm going by the beer. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll yeah. go with that. <laughs> Um, the fear lady. Yeah, she's she's a scholar, so she's had a kind of a, a look into the uh, method why strangulation is used by killers. Um, it's she sort of puts it down to a moment of power over the victim, so a predator murder type. So he wanted power over those situations. So again, it kind of ties back into the no, you can't leave, so I'm going to kill you because I don't want you to be in, into like I don't want you to leave this situation and me be powerless. So. Yeah. Um, that kind of ties into that. It's an easy and convenient way to kill the victims as they can't scream. So obviously they're crushing their vocal cords. So yeah. there's no outwardly... You can't make a sound if you've got your vocal cords have been... I was going to say discombobulated, but no. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, if they're restricted. That's it, exactly. Well, there's a, I was watching Mindhunter uh, what? last night. Because you've watched it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Ed Kemper was talking in it about... Yes. They asked him why he threw the vocal cords away. And he just... It was like because I was sick of them talking so sometimes yeah. his mother so his mother was the only yeah. vocal cords that he chucked away yeah. because I'm anyway. not much of a weirdo but the um, you know it's yeah. got a significance to it as well by yeah. cutting off their ability to talk and he also person. wanted to shut his mother up by chucking them away yeah <laughs> chucked them in the garbage can outside he did even... and so um, yeah Ed Kemper's definitely one that we're going to get into I feel yeah that we're going to be doing a couple of international episodes Nick mainly is going to be focusing on an, our international stories but me and Steph have a couple of firm favourites that Ooh, I say favourites, yeah. but we're intrigued by them. Yes, they're the ones that's kind of call them favourites. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Favourite stories. You don't yeah. have to be favourite of the favourite person. They can be <laughs> either favourite a true crime or favourite paranormal. It's the ones that stick in our heads the most. Yeah, and it, it'll only be on the odd occasion, like as a special for you guys. Yeah, more to come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another thing that um, Heineken. We'll go with yeah, that. We'll go with that. Um, says that uh, the uh, the murderers like to be in close connection and in close range. Um, obviously, when you're choking somebody, especially when you're sort of an uh, like on top of them sort of position, you're you have got eye to eye contact. Um, I was sort of reading in my notes that um, you can literally see somebody's point of death because you can see the life literally leave their eyes, and that's something else that some that like murderers and whatnot tend to go for because they like to see that light leave their the victims' eyes. Of it. Yeah, and then it goes into the parents and power and dominance again. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry to go off topic yet. Have you ever, have you ever heard about the 21 grams thing? No, no, I don't think I have. There's a film, quite a good film called 21 grams, but they, they reckon when the body dies, it loses 21 grams immediately. So just while you were talking about the light going out of somebody eye, yeah. somebody's eyes. Yeah, I could see so that soul, actually. If the soul exists. Yeah. Or something, everybody loses 21 grams when they die of weight. I mean, they, their body changes after that, obviously. Yeah. But the moment of death, it's 21 grams. That's really it, interesting. Could it, could it possibly be that your body stores 21 grams? of oxygen and air and carbon monoxide that you release I don't know. when you I mean, die it, 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 it could be expels. I, think, I think the idea is a bit more robust than that it's more of a unexplained sort of yeah. thing I think people have quite deeply looked into it and I think maybe that's explained. one that you should touch on then because me and Steph neither of us have heard of it yeah. have yeah. you never seen the film? no no. no it's good so uh, yeah maybe you should have a look into it and I think Benicio Del Toro is in it no even better 
Maybe. <laughs> so it's old. been it's been about ten years since I've seen it. Yes. Oh, okay. So, so I think film. maybe you should definitely feature like do an episode on it because I'm interested. Yeah, that's interesting. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, guys. A little sneak peek for what an upcoming Nick episode. Twenty one grams, and we don't mean drugs. <laughs> um, and again, this can come the whole kind of watching people's life leave their uh, their eyes. Um, again, it can kind of be linked to a sexual thing. So a lot of people get off on that that whole instance and the whole sort of they like having that dominance about the like them pe- playing god essentially. Another quite uh, interesting thing that uh, factoid about the whole strangulation thing is seventy one percent of cases of strangulation um incur occur in dom- domestic female scenarios. So it's a lot of um it's a lot of um male on female sort of uh, domestic violence, which seventy one percent is a is a lot. It's a lot. So it, uh, it's quite hard. Yeah, there's statistics that can't be ignored. But it's interesting that Nilsson's victims were obviously male um and younger and were and were preserved for the fantasy uh that was that he was kind of going for for example the whole watching tv and the topical conversation uh was he lonely or did he kind of fall into the bracket of um is it a sexual thing with the I, whole... from what you've said about him and everything yeah. i would say he's put those sexual partners and his victims into that female category because every relationship has a male and a female not necessarily their sexual identity yeah but they portray certain roles you've definitely got a dominant and a a submissive yeah yeah Yeah. and perhaps he wanted to be the male dominant and his victims were the female submissive yeah well they were younger they were less statue well i'm not saying that all women are you know no oh god no but the same sort of time yeah women are obviously a smaller frame than men that's it and it's not just that it's the it's the woman that does the certain roles like the housekeeping the cooking the cleaning i'm yeah. not saying that men don't do it no 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 we are like we are coming into the 21st century those roles yeah. are definitely being <laughs> they're being obsolete <laughs> yeah yeah but, but it's I'm... still <laughs> no well, we have an agreement nicholas you clean i cook that's that's a fair agreement i love i quite like housework and i love there cooking you go. I hate cooking. So and I hate good. housework. So we are it perfectly works. matched. It works. <laughs> but there are relationships where it is predominantly the females that yeah. do those tasks whilst the males go out and earn the bacon. Yeah. You still have traditionalists. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And when was it? It was the 70s, wasn't it? Late 70s, early 80s. That what happened? That the initial murders happened. What? These are mur- these murders happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. 73, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So those roles weren't as well, def- like, not defined now because no. it's very hazy now because anybody can do it. Yeah. But in, back in the 70s, 80s, those roles were very, very much de- defined. Yeah, we were, still, we were still going into the whole hippie stage. So yeah. we were still yet to be liberated and all that beautiful What year business. was... Um, Freedom women. What, was, what year was homosexuality um, decriminalised in the UK? 90s. Do you know? I think no, it was the 90s. Th- I'm pretty sure it wasn't the 90s. It must have been. I'm pretty sure it was the 90s. Um, um, it would have been earlier than that. I don't definitely, think definitely. it was. Mm, no, I want to say 70s for sure. I want to say 70s. When, I'm a Google it. Yeah. When was homosexuality legalised in the UK? Because when was Stonewall? I want to say 70s, late 70s. Yeah. I don't know much about oh. gay culture if I'm being honest. Oh, okay. When was it? We're all wrong. Oh, no, go on. Don't even 1967. Oh, right. 67. Okay. Oh, okay. When did he commit these murders? So, just so he was arrested. Uh, he spent a lot of time so he resigned from the force in 1973 so it was quite later <laughs> do you want to know what the parliament act was called that was like delegalized go on the buggery act <laughs> that was yeah. what it was that's, called that's what 
Well, it's cool, isn't and it? And it was created well, it in 1533, mm. passed in Parliament by the reign of Henry VIII. Of course. And it made male homosexuality targeted for persecution in the UK, which completely outlawed sodomy in Britain, and the extension would be then covering the entire British Empire. The convictions at that time, they did change, were punishable by death. No way. Henry VIII, man, he's like a, an absolute, like, you're, you're, I, he's coming up in a future episode of mine, guys, um, and I've found so much out. He, he basically did what he wanted to do. He passed the laws in what he wanted to do, he so that's really bellend. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear, yeah. Henry VIII may have been kind of a good king, but he was still a bellend. Yeah, he was, he was, a, he was, yeah, he was an absolute player. He would bless him in his little stockings. And tights. <laughs> and tights. <laughs> and codpiece. And co- and, and, was it a giblet? What was the neck? I do like a good cod piece. Oh, the frilly neck collar. Yeah, was it a giblet? I can't remember what that's called. No, I can't sounds remember. Sounds like that yeah. could be it. Sounds, it sounds convincing enough. If anybody else knows, just pop us a message. <laughs> tell us that we're wrong. We are cultured and fully, fully knowledgeable in history yeah, <laughs> in our <hence> wardrobe. <laughs> why we Google a yeah. lot of things. <laughs> So, um, this is kind of going into um, more of what Nilsson sort of did after um, he was caught and um, what sort of people thought of what he was doing after the whole events. Um, it was kind of, nobody sort of really pinpointed as to why, uh, what made him kill, um, especially. It was all sort of um, speculation. He never really, nobody knows whether it was sort of impulsive or whether it was premeditated. It was all sort of, nobody really knew because, like, I don't even think Dennis knew at the time. Like, it was all sort of... He must have had some kind of psychological truth. Yeah, he so, must like, have had some. He, there, was, um, there was a few times that he said that um, music, that the combination of alcohol and music gave him a buzz, yeah. but whether that triggered the, mm. like, the murderistic... I mean, if his sexual desire is sort of warped, I mean, a lot of things can give people the whole one, can't it? Yeah. So if those, that combination of those two things... Why, why did you look at me like that? <laughs> What's wrong with... I've never, I haven't, I'm not going to lie, I've not heard that phrase since I was about ten. What, the horn? Given somebody the horn. <laughs> Now he's coming up with British like terminologies <laughs> yeah. for horn, pr- like. promiscuity. I think that's fine. <laughs> Quick tumble, have a fumble. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, nobody really knew. When he was sentenced, um, a jury t- um, of 10 to 2 decided that Nilsson was fully uh, fully sane and accountable for his actions. So he he, he tried to sort of do the whole, um, I, I wasn't sure of my actions sort of thing, but they were sort of like, you, you don't come across as criminally insane or anything like that. You've, you've passed out test. This is quite interesting. So Nilsson actually wrote notes and pictures and letters uh, to the author Brian Masters for his book Killing the Company, which I thought was a really apt name for this this sort of crime and and whatnot. His opening letter read, uh, Dear Mr Masters, I pass the burden of my life onto your shoulders. Uh, Nilsson wrote 50 notebooks on his life and uh, for the author to study. In mm. them, he admitted to using photography to get stills of lifeless images of his friends again in the army um, to act as if they were had been shot. He displayed these pictures on a pinboard, so as if you'd sort of um, display a, a, a butterfly for taxidermy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he would display these pictures as a sort of beautiful art-posed <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, 50 volumes is quite the, quite the epic, isn't it? Yes, he, he thought a lot about himself and he had a lot to say. 
guy. <laughs> yeah. 50 volumes. Yeah, it's a lot. But he actually, he was he was trying to publish them, uh, but the prison actually just said you, you can't publish that because it was sort of, obviously it's unbiased and, uh, mm. no, it is biased, isn't it? I don't think you're allowed to make money if you're a prisoner, right? Yeah. Charlotte? Well, it, it differs because in America they've got what they call the Son of Sam law, which was passed after the Son of Sam decided to sell his memoirs to the publication medias at the time. Oh, did he sell them? Like, actually got through with it all? Yeah, oh, he okay. sold them, but he then took all the money. Ah. And the courts and the families of his victims were like, what the hell? Yeah. Why is he profiting off our losses? Yeah, absolutely. So, in America, they have the Son of Sand Law, where no convict can have uh, sell their story for monetary value. The monetary value goes to the victims. Over here, there has been hot debates over it. So there's nothing Because I know Jeffrey Archer, when he was in prison, wrote quite a few novels. Yeah. I don't know if he had them published. Yes, while he, he, was, did. he did. Um, uh, Prime Minister Gordon Brown spoke quite like intensely on it, and he said that that we should have our own law over it over here for it. Yeah. But at this current time, we don't. Okay. It's, it's... just publishing houses questioning their own like moral issues, wherever yeah. they want to publish it or not. Okay. So currently, no, we don't have any laws about like that. Well, it's obviously people are not willing to do that voice. They would have published it. So yeah, he definitely got turned down for the whole thing. So obviously somebody's yeah. morals are up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, somewhere, some somehow people have morals. Yeah, they do the good deed. Go they, you. Faith <laughs> in humanity restored. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so these pictures that he put on these uh, on these pinboards were just an escalation of his fantasy. He served life in prison, um, in Full Sutton Prison near York, where he wrote two autobiographies that were. And um, again, it just wasn't, he wasn't going to profit off of that. Uh, Nilsson put in a legal battle to get uh, his manuscripts back, uh, but it was completely denied. Uh, but however, the, the author Brian Masters used some excerpts from his um, autobiographies that he used to write the book Killing for Company, which rever- which refers back to um, a lot of what he said, but obviously he contextualises it and sort of puts it in a... In a, in a, in a discussionary light instead yeah. of it being, oh yeah, this is what the killer says. It's like, well, yeah. no, this is what he says. Yeah, rather than Nielsen's light, which yeah. is, would have been fully fully sort of uh, ingratiating oh, I'm the towards himself. Yeah, inst- but I think, I've not well, read assume, that book. Like but yeah, I would assume that that's kind of like, well, this is what he says, but... but yeah kind of not right yeah he kind of just you know just puts the unbiased like view on it whole yeah thing. uh nilson died in prison on the 12th of may 2018 so this was only last year i mean he was still alive and kicking like last year really yeah oh wow so that was the end and the demise of dennis nilson which mm. i'm really glad that he's dead yeah i mean he did some terrible things he did horrible terrible things but i have that did he have like quite a lot of psych psychiatrists psychological evaluations yeah there was a lot like a lot of people picked his 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 story apart a lot because he sort of set the premise for um that kind of that kind of murder that kind of sexual sort of uh, like motivation and he just and the way that he dealt with um the bodies for example the boiling and the flushing them down the toilet and yeah. and all that beautiful business there it is stop again. saying that i know i now that you've pointed if it out i was just saying it a dismembered body in a toilet i don't think you would think this is this is so beautiful this <laughs> Yeah, this no, moment, I I'll, don't... I'll cherish this. It's yeah, so it, it's one that's going to stick in the memory book. <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's there. But yeah, because it's, <laughs> to me, it seems like he's got, I don't know what his, like, diagnosis was, but he seemed obviously psychopathic. No. He was deemed sane. Like, they did tests. He he was deemed sane. We well, don't need to be insane to be a psychopath. No, yeah. yeah. 
there, there's That's other aspects point. to be insane that yeah. needs to be added but insane is more schizophrenic um, um well not just that it's there's other things as well but like he's got very much psychopathic traits and one of the traits is that of being a narcissist yeah the whole kind of no emotions but dominance sort of thing was yeah. quite interesting because he's very narcissistic like you said about his boyfriend david like video recording him yeah and that he was like no cut because it's not what he wanted no he wanted it filmed in this very yeah. specific way and he obviously the narcissistic motion of not wanting somebody to leave, mm-hmm. but if they did leave, it had to be on his terms. And yeah. because these people weren't leaving on his terms, they got murdered. They got murdered. Yeah. Well, I think they would have got murdered even if they. Well, he didn't even give them an opportunity. I think once no. they entered his flat, they were they were pretty much dead. On the yeah. Level, they? I I kind of don't think so as well because Steph mentioned that people got away. Yeah. Well, one guy got away, didn't he? She yeah. There was that, a few. There was a few. few. There was. I think there was um, seven altogether that got yeah. away. But you only got the story of that one gentleman. Yeah, there was. Just, he he gave a, a full account of the yeah. full. Oh, there were more than. Yeah, but, sorry, there were more. So than yeah, to me, those people are like they stuck around, they waited with him, and he was like, "Well, are you going home then?" Yeah. And then he let them go. Well, but, so his trigger is evident, and when they say like, that they want to leave, that's, mm-hmm. and it's that's that aspect of being left that comes from his childhood, yeah, from his dad, from his grandfather dying. It could just be that, or it could just be the case that it was with cars, and he just ran out of room for bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Or that, or that. <laughs> That's so, a very, it's a pressing issue. <laughs> yes, and like you said earlier on, it's a very niche issue. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't believe I, I've never heard of this no, guy. Me no, me either. He's an interesting chap. And he's quite prolific as well. It wasn't just two or three, it was how yeah. many in the end? Fifteen. Fifteen. So it was very prolific. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was just interesting how it all got swept under the rug because it was a, a homophobic sort of slant on the whole thing. Yeah. As you which, said earlier, which homos in a way be homos. Played, played to his advantage. That's it, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why he got away with it so long. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, there so, you go. Dennis Nelson in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, so we're going to take a quick cigarette break and grab a drink because I think we're all a little bit parched. <laughs> And we shall be back with Paranormal Times. So, after our little drink and cigarette break, we decided that... Because I haven't prepared anything. Because he chooses, he's a man. Um, sexism. Yes, always. Uh, we were thinking... Don't be that... so misandric. Okay. Misandric? Is that like... It's the opposite of misogyny, isn't it? To be mm. misandric. Eh, I know. You know, equal men's rights and all that. We'll be liberated one day. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick thought it might be a good idea just if me and Steph have a couple of questions about UFOs and what we want to know. Mm-hmm. And if it's a subject that he's like, oh, I will be speaking about this on another podcast, mm-hmm. then he'll let us know before going into detail so as not to ruin the next like next upcoming podcast episodes or whatever. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. So I think Steph's got a question she wants to ask. Yeah, I just wanted to know what your sort of opinion on crop circles were, because obviously there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stigmatism going. Like, is it is it aliens? Is it army based? Um, what is the dealio? What is your opinion? Well, when they first started cropping up, they were quite uh, mm, pun. I like that cropping up. Uh, good pun. I like yeah, that pun. Un- unintentional. <laughs> what was it? The seventies, eighties? I think it was in Wiltshire in England. They looked impressive, and they were these strange geometric patterns that people instantly jumped on that it was sort of it could be anything from ufos and their magnetic waves caused by their power in their spacecraft to naturally occurring magnetic 
things in the earth but the two guys who well the first ones came out as hoaxes two guys said they've been doing it for years and they were really impressive right. and they were just doing it with planks of wood and um rope okay. going into farmers fields in the middle of the night and doing it so oh and if you see the how impressive they the ones that they created were the rest seem completely doable by anybody with you know under the cover of darkness with a bit of wood and some rope so yeah. I, I don't really think too much of crop circles to be honest so you don't think them plausible by aliens though no i just i just don't i think because those two guys came out i can't remember their names and they said we did this and they had proof that they did it they took photos and stuff of themselves doing it on the particular sites oh so they weren't rumbled then they were no they came out openly... and did it. yeah yeah they weren't uh, found no they weren't uh, found out they, they came out and said yeah we did this so no uh, that's why i don't really see crop circles as a an alien as a, phenomenon no i don't no. No, do you? Oh well, I, I kind of, I, I was, I, I bought into it, like, because obviously they're of such grand scale mm. that you kind of think, and they're so geometrically perfect. But mm. as you say, a plank and a piece of wood, yeah, it can draw most circles in any kind of scale. So, yeah. like, I mean, you can do, you can do a lot with, um, you know, if you know how to to plot out something on the ground and then, yeah. You know, if you're a surveyor or you've got any any experience in surveying, then it's it's fairly Is that what simple. surveyors do? Well, surveyors, well, they, they do a lot of things. But say, for example, you're plotting out a plot of land um, by measuring it on the ground and pinpointing certain locations and then where other locations should be from that location. Oh, okay. So, you know, when you see people at the side of the road with, like, tripods with a, a thing that they look through. Yes. So they're surveying and figuring out from flat plane perspective where to put certain mm -hmm. things. Oh, interesting. I never knew that. So I'm not saying they took that kind of equipment. No. But yeah, any kind of know-how, I think, yeah. you could you could make that happen. What about you, Charlotte? Do you think they're... Um, no, I don't think they're real. Yeah. I don't think they're... Like, well, not real. They are real, obviously. I mean, like, UFO-based. And farmers fucking hate them because it's ruining you know, them. The they're like, the they wake everything. up one morning, they've got a big hole in their crop. Yeah, which <laughs> is their livelihood at stake. But yeah. it's like down south, there's... Um, chalk markings on the side of hills and stuff. Yeah, the Neolithic um, man and yeah, and the, his, the horse with and, a massive penis. Yes, and the <laughs> horse and the lion. Yeah, or the Nazca lines are a good example of, of something yeah. you can do. By... You can do that, and that's that's prehist not prehistoric, but people back... not advanced cultures. Yeah, yeah, it, back in the day doing it. Yeah, because I know they were doing it because they thought they were appeasing the gods, and yeah. that it was more of a religious symbol. Well, now because they used to the lines are actually walkways that they used to yeah. walk in a symbolic gesture because it barely rains and Nazca is one of the driest so, places yeah. on earth, so it'd be like a rain ritual to walk these lines. And then these trenches would fill up. These lines would eventually fill up with water, and they could use it. Because if you go that, you can literally just push the pebbles aside on the Nazca lines because there's yeah. there's no rain getting on there and and stuff to wash the pebbles away or, or much yeah. wind up there. So they're not deep; they're literally just. Sort of the the top thin layer of rocks yeah. and underneath the uh, the ground and that's oh, right. how they made them. They're not yeah. dug in or made really. It's nat like little. by man made but natural like formation kind of thing. A man made natural formation yeah. by the path of being walked. And so stuff. it's incredibly possible. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. My question is, why do you think that the majority of the UFOs that have been spotted photo like photographed? are always the disc formation. I know we do also get the triangular formation sometimes, mm. but majority back from like Roswell, before then or whatever, is always the circular disc. 
Well, I think there is a lot of variation. I mean, there's a disc, there's the V-shape, there's the wing, there's the, the delta wing, there's orbs, like orb shapes. Yeah. So I'm not confusing it with like spiritual orbs, but supposed like spirit orbs. But spherical craft, uh, cigar-shaped craft are quite, really quite common. So there oh, is really? a variation. Um, it could be because that's... You know, if there's one species visiting us more than any other, that's just the style of craft that they yeah. they have. Or it could be, um, I mean, photographs are obviously different because they're fixed, but people seeing saucers, I mean, it's quite hard sometimes to figure out the shape of something in the sky so far away. So they, it could be of a different shape, but they yeah. say it looks like a saucer. But I'd, I'd put it down just to, going back to you, you, the answer in the first, you know, the, the question main, that maybe it's just one civilization and that's the kind of craft that they've designed and that they're using Fair but enough. again bob lazar when he said he worked at area 51 which we're going to talk about in a future episode sorry said he saw various different shapes of yeah of spacecraft i kind of want to say as well that like in i, I find in sort of un, unexplained circumstances film and tv and media have a real like influences to what our sort of perception of aliens and their spacecrafts are. So obviously mm. you've got the alien, you've got the Hollywood version of an alien, which is your usual sort of like egg-shaped heads with the bug eyes and the no nose and the kind of like Paul from um, Paul. Like, yeah, Paul the the, the, the film. Yeah, the from, greys. The, yeah, the, the grey from yeah. Paul. Yeah, from Paul, like the grey little alien. That's like your stereotypical Paul from Paul. From Paul. <laughs> But that's like a stereotypical like Hollywood alien, and yeah. I think that's what people kind of go in on as well. Yeah. In fact, my, one of my friends the other week asked me why do all spaceships look like shitty 1950s retro designs and stuff? Well, maybe that's just their aesthetic. I mean, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They could like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I have any more questions. <laughs> no, I do. Know. That's fine. I'll prepare... Well, I've got a long thing. Yeah, you've got a full episode. Well, I say full episode. Majority of next like week's episode is going to be di- dictated by Nick. No, Nick's going to be telling us about a subject. We're not... Sh- me and Steph have... I don't know what it's going to be about. No? Okay. Me and Steph have no idea what it's on about. Nick obviously does, because he's been researching this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about William Shatner. Of course. <laughs> Star Trek. Yes. You'll get that reference if why you... why better than Picard. Uh, yeah. Jean-Luc Patrick Stewart Stewart. if you listen to our previous episode you'll understand that context 100% (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so next week it's going to be a full like pretty much full Nick episode with a few listener stories just to boost it up to a good decent time for you guys yeah so we're talking about cryptids now we are we're we're on to a bit of cryptozoology because what is it cryptoids or cryptids Cryptids is the individual animal, but it's cryptozoology. 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 So, not doing ghost stories because I got a little bit bored of looking at ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much more in the paranormal world. Yeah, it's not creepy. The last one was really good. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but after reading and researching the Enfield poltergeist, I kind of needed a breather away from ghosts. Yes, I can understand that. And I thought, let's jump into a little bit of like cryptozoology so we're going to take a little paddle just a little paddle across the pond to ireland do i need to bring armbands you need might need your scuba gear yeah okay so and i've got four beasties of, to talk about i've got the irish wildcat a banshee Ooh. the lockery water monster and the i'm going to pronounce this wrong and i've written translations down mm-hmm. it's the duwahu 
water monster. With all the phlegm. I like it. What yeah. does that mean? Do you know what that means? Um, yes. <laughs> when I get to that bit, you'll find out a little bit more. Okay. So, let's talk about the Irish wildcat. Okay. Or the Kitsik. And Kitsi Shay. The Kashi Say. Did you have to translate this with your dad? No, because these are Irish. Oh, no. that's a very good point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's all the same. <laughs> it is actually, Celtic is very, very similar to each other. So, but no, these ones I had to use Google Translate along with a lot of YouTube videos, <laughs> along with a lot of Irish dictionary. <laughs> so, the Irish wildcat have been reported for centuries, although there are no records of Ireland ever having their own wildcats, unlike Scotland. Okay. Some believe that these animals can be mistaken for wildcats, but are actually pine martins, which have been found in Ireland. What's a pine martin? Pine martin is just like a larger type of cat. Oh right, okay. So it's uh, a scientifically. It's a it's a alive and well cat. It's okay. not dead. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. not extinct. Okay. Um, I'll post obviously pictures of this cat up online, but the Cashy Shy Cashy Shy. <laughs> Is a black cat about the size of a dog with a white spot on its chest. That's very specific. Like our cat Boo. It's like Boo Bear. Aww. He's a completely black cat with a white spot on his chest. Except he's, well, he's about the size of a dog actually, he's about the size of a chihuahua at the moment. So are these quite regularly seen, are they? They are. The Kashi Shai, in most tales, they are feared by people, but in some they are to bring good fortune. Now this, the Kashisai, is more of a legend. It's okay. a belief. Because I was about to, to bring something up. Um, yeah, but the Irish wildcats are seen quite regularly. Yeah. And they are very, very similar in appearance, except the Irish wildcats are more domesticated, whilst the Kashisai is more legendary, as okay. in it's more fairy tale. Okay. And... So I'm going to explain the fairy tale side of the Cassidy side okay. and then talk a little bit about Irish wildcats. Okay. Okay? Okay. So it's said that the Cassidy Shai are witches who can transform into the black cat. Into the black cat, sorry. They are able to transform eight times, but on the ninth time they must stay in the cat form. Ah, cats and nine lives and all that. That's where Ooh. the legend comes from. No, I get it, that's awesome. Yeah. The main event that the Kashi Sai is tied to is the funerals, where they would steal the soul of the deceased. The family would have a late wake where they played games so that the cat was amused, or would play the games with them so the cat was amused and wouldn't go near the body. What kind of games are this? Is it just like tossing a ball of wool in the air and hope for distraction? Uh, <laughs> no, it's standard game of a piece of string on a stick and the cat chases it. Oh, okay, okay. Standard like keeping a kitten amused yeah. games. A laser at the wall. How big like is this supposed to be? Yeah. Sorry? How big are these supposed to be, these cats? From about small size, like standard cat size of oh. a small dog. Oh, okay. Up to a German Shepherd size. Oh, okay. So they can range in size depending on the circumstance. Okay. 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 The humans of the household would also light fires in every single fireplace of the house, apart from the room where the deceased was in. Okay. So that the cat would fall asleep next to the warmth of the fire... Mm, and not next to the dead body to steal the soul. There's a lot of assumption in this. <laughs> it's a, it, this these are based in fairy tales, okay, but yeah, you okay. can't talk about the Irish wildcat without talking about them. Yeah, obviously, obviously, yeah, absolutely. At Halloween, it's custom to leave a bowl of milk out for the cat Sahih. Say, mm -hmm. if you did, 
it would leave a treat for you. What, shit on your doorstep? No, <laughs> no, it like the standard cat treat of it. Yeah, you. shit on your doorstep. A dead animal. <laughs> a dead mouse. Okay. Yeah. Dead mouse, dead bird. Okay. What it would class as a treat because it's feeding you. <laughs> but if you didn't, it'd put a curse on you. Of course. Because it put a spell on you. Sorry. <laughs> there is also a practice. Hocus Pocus. Never seen it. What? What? Is it like Sabrina? No, it's better. Sabrina's better than Sabrina. There's only one song in it as well, so guess what we are watching. Oh, is it a Disney film? It is. Uh, It's got Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. Uh, Really? Yeah. What's her name? Bette Miller. Bette Midler. Bette Miller. Bette Midler. Bette Miller was like a 50s actress. No, no, that's Betty Page. Yeah. Bette Midler, oh, okay. singer. Uh, who else has it got in it? I can't remember her name. It's got the guy from um, Sister Act, the woman from Sister Act. Sarah Jessica Parker scares me. <laughs> I didn't realise that. Her, that's, where I wanted, that's why I wanted to name Boris Biggle, Bigsby. Bigsby. Yeah, it's because of the black cat. Because of the black cat with a white part on his chest. Okay. The cat shall eat. <laughs> that's what he was meant to be. Aww. But we named him after Boris Johnson. No, we didn't. We named him after Boris Karloff. Boris Johnson. Boris Garloff. Boris Johnson. Right, back to the Kasaishi. <laughs> there was a practice called Tagam. Nice. Yeah, where it was believed that a demonic Kasahi would come and bestow three wishes on you if you completed the ceremony. That doesn't sound too bad, right? No, I mean, I could live with that. Do you want to know what the ceremony was? Mm, did you have to, like, pull the heart out of somebody? No, it's worse. No? Okay. It's worse than pulling a heart out of human. Okay. Um, you have to sacrifice a cat? Because <laughs> I'd be far more upset about that. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean... just like, the ceremony meant that for four days and four nights, you had to burn the bodies of cats oh. in the village. Oh, okay. No. All of the cats. Care. I do not care for this. No. Yeah. You don't want to celebrate Tagan. No, I mean, I was all up for like pulling hearts out of people, but cats, mm, no. Leave the kitty cats and the poochies alone, and yeah. the babies. So that's basically the main things that the Kashahisha do. You're going to be pro at these pronunciations by the time I Luckily, I don't have to do that one again. <laughs> there was a little bit of a debate about Irish wildcats, though. The debate was over if they were real or not. In 1906, Dr. R.F. Sharif wrote a paper stating that in his archaeological evacuation... Evaluation. No. You can do Irish, but not English. (laughs) Excavations? Excavations, yes, apparently so. I can do Celtic, (laughs) but not standard English. English. (laughs) Of Eden Vale, he found two different types of feline bones. He believed the larger bones were that of a wild cat. Mm. But in 1965, A.W. Selfox challenged that by stating the bones were that of a female and male domestic cat as no other bones have ever been found on Irish digs. This debate still continues. Well, I was going to I was going to jump in with something earlier because the, have you heard of because there's a, a village we live close to called Polesworth. Have you heard of the Polesworth panther before? Yes. No. So in I mean, uh, no. so we used to keep or uh, people used to keep large cats in this country panthers lions tigers there's a really yeah. a, amazingly heartwarming video about like this, this yeah. these two guys who kept this lion in the 60s or something and they have to return yeah. to the wild and then they go to the wild and they the lion recognizes them and jumps yeah. all over and, and hugs group. them and yeah, it's like them. really there was the harrods cat wasn't there was yeah, that, people that, buy was cats big cats from harrods, harrods yeah. yeah so but it was made illegal and i'm not sure when it was made illegal maybe the Six, 70s 60s 70s. 70s so instead of handing them in to be destroyed or whatever the people would just release them into the world so there's Aww. 
there's been quite a lot of sightings in England of big cats, and Large they might cats, yeah. be uh, sort of colonies of cats that have survived. And released into British wilderness. Culture, yeah, yeah. they let them going because, like, oh, if you no. love this animal and you don't, I don't know if they take them to be destroyed. Or yeah, they were. They, it would cost too much to have them, and they were domesticated as such instead of wild. Well, yeah, so they, they wouldn't them. be able to survive. So there's there's document, you know, there's evidence all over the country that big cats are around because they they were released. We've got two documented ago. near us. Yeah. We've got the Polesworth Panther as well as the Hot Was like Hot Was Elephant. No, it was there was <laughs> one in Hot Was as well as like the boars and everything. Okay. That there was like a large cat in there, but they thought it might be tied in with the, the panther in that of yeah. Polesworth. So interesting. But yeah, but there have been many sightings of the wild cat in Eden Vale. There is even a couple of reports of the animal being killed. Oh right. Okay, That's so the first. Re- report was that of Pap Murphy, knowledgeable in the County Mayo Archaeological Society. And he wrote in the 1940s that his father and his uncle found one in his father's shed. It was trapped and hurt in some netting, so they shot it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, oh. Mary and Joseph, that made me Sorry. jump out of my Is skin. Sorry, like, oh, we've got this. <laughs> It's like, fuck it, it, we'll shoot it. Yeah, it's in the 40s, okay? You really jump out my Sorry, I was expecting them to say, oh, they nursed it back to health and took it. No, fuck it, shoot it. (laughs) Terribly British. (laughs) (laughs) Are you awake now, (laughs) Lalish? Think that coffee in Nick's hook. (laughs) So, they shot it. feline who had a nail like tail like end to its tail unlike that of a feral or domesticated cat so it was pointed more pointed than a normal cat cat because normal cat tails are quite rounded yeah but this was quite pointy okay okay <laughs> you quite and i'm doing the hand motions as well it's just no it's just yeah well, the way sh- you said other shot <laughs> <laughs> Joe Keery was out hunting, this is like 80s, 90s, beginning of the 90s, when he shot what he thought was a fox. Upon inspection of the animal, he noticed it was feline and had the same description of that of Pat Murphy's animal. But, guess what I'm about to say. He shot it again? No. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of the bodies was sent for examination. Yeah, there you go. So nobody really found out, really. No. It was all speculation. But there is and still... anecdotes are not evidence. That's yeah. my catchphrase on this. this yeah, it is. Show. Anecdotes aren't evidence. But there are still people saying, especially in Edenvale, that there are still Irish wildcats. And... I hope okay. not. They're on shooting them. Oh, it's a bit more illegal to have guns there now. I mean, yeah, we've got a bit more stricter on that. Yeah. <laughs> so then the second beastie that we're talking about today is the Lockery Water Monster. This isn't the Loch Ness monster. No, because we are in Ireland and not Scotland. <laughs> but it's really interesting that it's like again, it's, it's a similar. water monster and it's it, similar, it starts with Loch. Loch. But it's spelled differently. <sighs> not Loch as in L O C H, the Scottish way. Okay. It's Loch as in L O U G H, the, the Irish way. The, the phlegm is pronounced oh. differently. Yeah, the yeah. phlegm is different. <laughs> so the Lochery is also known as Loch Ribbon, and it is about. 15.5 miles long and 4.35 miles wide and it is has a bed of carbon furious limestone i don't know what carbon furious means just i kind of do really it angry. just means it's quite porous <laughs> but i don't know the actual scientific definition of it okay it is the second largest lake in the river shannon system 
Okay. Yep. In 1960, Father Richard Quigley, Father Matthew Burke and Father D- Daniel Murray were fishing on the shores of the lake when they spotted an unusual object about 100 yards away. Mm. Okay. The creature was about six feet long from head to tail to coil. coil. I'm presuming coil means tail. Yep. With the head approximately... <coughs> sorry. <coughs> my voice is gone. With the head approximately 18 inches long. That's a big head. It's a big head. Oh, okay. It's bigger. (laughs) (laughs) It swam steadily with no apparent disturbances to the water. The part of the body above the water did not go up or down. All right. So it didn't go meh, meh, meh. It wasn't bobbing? No. Okay, okay. It was just tornado, tornado. Torpedo. Torpedo-like. It swam towards the shore, submerging gradually and then reappearing, and about 30 yards from the shore, it submerged again and didn't reappear. Many sceptics say that the clergymen were mistaken, but their story allowed locals to come forward with their own. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Two men were walking by the shore when they saw what they thought was a calf swimming in the water. They rushed to rescue it, but it was submerged in the area charted to be 70 feet deep. Later, when the area was dragged, nothing was found. So no calf, no nothing. Oh, calf. As in cow. Cow. Oh, so, sorry, I thought you said car. No, not car. Calf. Calf, as in baby moo. Yes. Close enough. Baby moo. Mm-hmm. With the amount of credible encounters, it prompted the global underwater search team, Gust for short, mm-hmm. to make a five-day expedition in June 2001. To find a calf? No. There is other reports of this monster oh right okay. sorry sorry i, th- I yeah. thought you meant they were just calling it for no a no 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 it's there's it's a lot of it's going late yeah <laughs> uh in june 2001 we'll save the calf <laughs> <laughs> it's found well, the president a... picks up the phone a calf gone missing in ireland go fix Send it in Gus. <laughs> don't shoot it first <laughs> Gus, we need your help. Look, you can find it and then drag it out and then shoot it. And then shoot it. <laughs> <Just> make sure. <laughs> and then hang it up as a taxidermy trophy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's found a Gus. No. <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph, it's been a long day. It's found a Jan Sunbird joined them. They ran tests throughout the five days and Sundberg eventually heard an anom- anonymous... Anonymous? I don't know. Anonymous? An- oh, anonymous. No, yeah. An- Anomaly, but with an S. Yeah, or on the end. Anomalous. Yeah. There we go. Anonymous. <laughs> Can't say that clearly. Sound that through the hydrophone he had been recording with. Whilst the sound was playing, they saw a small dark tube object swimming away from the island in unseen before manner. Okay. And you got to think, this is the GUST, the Global Underwater Search Team. So they've seen quite a few objects. They've been to sunken ships and everything. They've documented anim- animals under the sea. So they they know what they're doing. They know yeah, but any Tom Dick can give himself a fancy name. Yeah. Okay. They have done other stuff before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you can go on their website and look at the stuff okay, that they've enough. done. Due to no photo- photographic evidence or a live capture, the locker room water monster remains a mystery. Some do suggest that it's a, like, an amphibious low-lying creature okay. that surfaces occasionally yeah. to, I don't know, collect souls maybe? I don't know. <laughs> As most of them do. But it, it can survive on the bottom layer of like the limestone. It doesn't okay. need to be on the surface continuously. That's what some people suggest. Limestone gives off a little bit of ox- oxygen as well, doesn't it? Because so... it's so porous. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like it's, it's believable. Yeah. That bit. And then it's, quite, it's easy to make caves out of it because it wears away quite quickly. 
Yeah. It do, it's not continuously hard like it wears away because of mm-hmm. being bashed against the water so much. Yeah. Your third creature is the Duwako. That sounds like a song. Duwako, the Duwako, the Duwako, the Duwako. Also known as the Irish Waterhound. 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 It's kind of contradictory in itself as well. Yeah. Okay, alright, we'll go with it. The Duwako. Is a water hound who is said to be an utter like creature. It has a large appetite and can move with speed in and out of water. Why call it a hound if it's like an otter? Wait. (laughs) Just wait. It is thought to be around seven feet long. It's called the hound because of the way it moves in and out. It swims like a dog. It moves on land like a dog. But its facial features and stuff are very reminiscent to an otter. So like... All fours on everything. Yeah. But the face is completely off. Yeah. Off top. Yeah, yeah. And plus it's like seven feet long. Oh, okay. So it's a big, big dog. Does it have the body of a dog? It's similar, yeah, because of the, it, the way it would move, like swimming and stuff. Okay. Okay. Is there a picture of this? Kinda. Can we knock a picture up in Photoshop and just put an otter's head on a dog? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, so there is two written accounts of the, the Duwaku. The first is from 1684. Oh, wow, so it dates back quite a while then. Oh, wow. And the last, well, the last hard written one before the age of the internet is on a tombstone dated from 1722. A tombstone? Yes. That's really specific. In his book, Robert O'Flaherty wrote about a man's encounter with what he called an Irish crocodile. He wrote that a man and his dog were walking along the shores of Loch Mark when he saw a head of a beast swimming in the water. At the time, he thought it was an otter. The creature looked at him and then swam underwater until it reached land. It grabbed the man by the elbow and dragged him into the lake. The man grabbed his knife from his pocket and stabbed the creature, which scared it away. When the waters receded after a long <laughs> period of time, they found the beast's corpse in a cape. Oh, right, okay. There's a lot of um, shooting and murdering of yeah, these creatures. <laughs> yeah, and Did they... the man just wanted to take a fucking walk with his dog. <laughs> he to be attacked. It escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so did they Did it's they take the body of this? 1680. Oh, sorry, 1680, sorry. Yeah. Four. Okay, fair enough. Okay. The tombstone that features the Duwaku, the Duwaku, the Duwaku, is located in Kilmoch and shows a carved illustration of a large oddly shaped otter. The name on the tombstone appears as Grace and dates back to 1722, but the rest of the inscription has been weathered away. People believe that this is related to the Duwaku as it's the same year that a poem was published about it. So do they think the Duwaku is buried in this grave? No. No. They think the woman who this poem is about is buried in this oh, game. Okay. I'm not reading you the poem because I don't do poetry. No. But in summary, this is the story of the poem. Okay. The story of the poem goes as this. Grace was hanging her washing out on the edge of the lake when she was attacked by the Duwaku. Her husband, McLaughlin, heard her cries and rushed to help. But by the time he was got to her side, she was dead. But the creature was still there. McLaughlin killed the beast, but not before it called its mate. McLaughlin jumped on his horse to evade it and soon realised he could not outrun it on his horse. With the help of his friend, they ducked behind a wall. When the creature jumped over it, they killed it. <laughs> That's basically the summary of the poem. Yeah. They all die. Except McLaughlin and his friend. Okay, beasties die. Beasties, beasties and die. wifey dead. So, that's the only official written account of this. Okay. The stories have been passed along for generations. Mm. And the mm. age of the internet has brought more stories out, obviously, because people can access it easier. Yeah. I suppose it's kind of like Chinese whispers at that point. Yeah. I mean, it just gets more like watered down the more it gets told. Yeah. Some researchers believe that the Du Waku 
is the misidentified giant otters. But whilst otters can be large, they don't attack people, as well as not looking like half-ish and half-wolf hybrids. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen them before. Have you ever seen an otter crack open a, a clam? Yeah, it's crazy. Really clever. Yeah, they're they they rock, they don't they? Yeah, they're really clever. They're quite clever creatures. They're on their belly, don't they? Yeah, they, they balance it on their belly and then they do like that and they use their belly to give them like, the pushes so they can open it. That's so it's adorable. really cute. Whilst, uh, but there are other people that suggest that the Duwaku may be an unknown type of rare predatory extinct now amphibian. But there is no evidence to support this because mm. you've got to think if it's an amphibian creature, it may have died underneath the water. Mm. Yeah. And the water then takes the boat. Like, you don't see fish bones just floating no, downstream no, no. and it stuff like that. Depends how big the creature is. Yeah, but it's seven feet, so yeah. The possibility is that it could still be, you know. Yeah, it's a possibility, but a without completely dragging the lake and searching at the bottom do of it. it. I'd do it. I know you would. The last story for this evening is that of the Banshee. As, are these the whaling witch type? Kind of. Yeah? Kind of. You hear a lot of Banshee in, in, in a lot of different cultures, don't you? You do. There's Banshee in pretty much every single culture. There's different yeah. forms of Banshees. Yeah. But the meaning, the underlining like current is pretty much the same. Okay. So a Banshee is a female spirit and is in... Kin- as in... Blah, 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 blah. And is considered an omen of death. The words "beansai," which is pronounced "banshee," okay. Oh, so it's an Irish word. Banshee. It's an Irish word, yeah. Oh. So a it's, deviation of Irish. Yeah, trans. It's Celtic. Yeah. Translates as a woman of the fairy mounds. She appears at the sight of an imminent death in the middle of the night and lets out a high-pitched wail. She can also be known as "beansayanti" or crying woman. Crying woman, oh, that's all. Banshee is crying woman. So, the origin of the Banshee is quite ordinary compared to half the tales that I've told you today and the tales that are surrounding her. In medieval times, women would take on the role as keeners. As what? Keener. Okay. A keener was someone who would sing sad songs at the graveside and cry and wail. That was a job? That was a job up until the late Victorian times. Well, and I heard of Victorians, professional mourners. Yeah. Oh. They stopped being called keeners and were called professional so if you mourners. Were your relative or whoever and didn't have many friends but you wanted to make an impression at the funeral, then you'd hire people to, yeah. to come along and make it seem like they were much loved and had many adoring family and friends yeah. and whatnot. That is insane. My mind is blown. So there was good money uh-huh. in like to be made from the families as they would pay highly like for the talented ones, the ones that could cry the hardest, the ones that could sing oh. the best. So crying on cue got top dollar. Yeah. Nice. Oh, and the loudest. So I'm thinking possible new job. We should bring <laughs> cleaning back. I can do that. And possible new job. I can wear the I don't have to make myself cry. Maybe twist my nipples. <laughs> yeah. So it was said that more, the more people that attended the funeral, the more popular that the person whose funeral it was, was. So hence the professional mourners. Yeah. Okay. It was a common belief that in the more powerful families, the banshee would attend as they were more talented singers than human. Okay. That's the banshee's origin. That... They would cry and wail at the gravesides because they were more talented because they were fairy oh. than a human was. Right, okay, so their their mysticalness was based on their talent. Yeah, the fairiness of them. 
Interesting. Okay. Interesting. The first known written story was from Sean McCraff's Triumphs of Turloy. Turloch. Your pronunciations. But people spoke of them before this. Okay. So the Banshee can come in three possible disguises. What do you think those three are? Black with a veil and and like veilness and full on woman in black. Okay, there's one. Yep. An animal? Kind of. A tree? No. <laughs> well, no, what do you think these banshees would look like? Uh, like a black ghostly, like probably like Steph just said. Kind of close. So you've got the crouching old hag with a horrible wrinkly face. Yeah, yeah. A beautiful young woman. Mm, okay. Or a ghostly form of a woman who has been hurt. Ghostly form of a woman who has been hurt. That's a very specific image. Yeah. Specific. What yeah. do you mean? What emotionally hurt or physically? Both. <laughs> so someone that sh- she looks like you need because you know when you can tell when somebody's been crying. Yeah. So oh. she looks like she's been crying, but she might have like a dress on, like in a partial ghostly form. So she might not have like she's got legs, but you can't you can only see from like up from the knee up kind of oh, thing. Okay. But her dress is ruined and she's not in the best of condition. Okay. okay. Okay, so, but it's almost in every single case of the Banshee being spoken of that she has long silver hair, which people sometimes see her brushing. Okay. But they also sometimes say that she's wearing a grey hooded cloak, not with the hood up. Okay. But that her eyes are always red from crying. So she's she's a a crier? Yeah, she's a sobber. So are they supposed to be the dead spirits of these... No. Mourners? No, I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Her cry varies depending on which part of Ireland you're in. Some say that it's shrill enough to shatter glass. Others state that it's like two wooden boards banging together. Oh. Whilst others state that it's a low, pleasant singing. Okay. The majority... The majority? The majority of a Banshee's visits are at night, but a small number have been happened to... Ha- have happened at noon. Okay. Banshee is usually a thought of to be a normal woman who enjoyed life until an event happened and she turned into an old haggard woman. She is seemingly weary of humans and disappears at human activity. Same. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> she doesn't like contact of mortals or the fae, so she likes to be on her own. Oh, so she does. The fae. The fae is fairies. What is a what is a fairy in Irish mythology? Um. You've got your seely fae or you've got your unseely fae. So your seely fae are your good fae. Um, They help with the restoration of plants. They help with looking after maintaining the land. We're talking about flying little people. Not necessarily flying little people. They're just a variation of the fae because the banshee is a fae. Okay. But she's just one version. She's part of the unseely fae because they're the ones that you don't particularly want to see because they normally bring death, destruction despair along with them okay whereas the seedy fae is the ones you want to see because they bring you your harmless stuff so they look after the plants they look after the trees pro nature they are very much pro nature but there's good there's good stuff in the unseely and there's bad stuff in the seely okay so they're all interlinked but the fae is what allows the planet to survive okay so they're nature spirits so like an then extension they're an the... ele- elemental sort they're like the bees of the mystical world. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So they're like they're an elemental sort, really, because you have phase that can help with water, but then you have phase that can kill you with water, okay. <laughs> and then you have phase that can look after the like the turning of the tide, and then you've got the phase that can make the tide not turn. Yeah. So you have your counterbalance. It's the good and evil, basically. 
Okay. Okay. So the the banshee she assigns herself to a family, and it's normally families which an island. It's a lot of them. It's like the O's, the, like O'Keefe's, O'Malley's. Yeah. O'Reilly. Or, yeah. Or the Mucks. So yeah. like McLaughlin or McFarlane. McFarlane and stuff like that, which weirdly enough is now ninety percent of Irish families. Yeah. But they the O's and the Mucks were the original powerful families they were your clan leaders as such so okay. a banshee would link to that one family and when she when there was an like a men a soon to be death she would come and stay near the woods and cry for the person and depending on which part of ireland it is depending on what type of cry you would hear and if her family moved away from their clan posts she would stay because she's more tied to that land, because that's where the family was, mm. than she is the family itself. Okay. And then as soon as a new family moved in, she'd attach to them. Okay, so she's not completely bound to this one family. No. Okay. But she prefers that one family over others. Yeah. So it's kind of like being in a long-term relationship until it ends. Yeah. And then you get into the next one. It's like a stalker relationship more than anything. Where <laughs> they, they, know, they don't know you exist, but you know all about them. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but she can, use, she can move from place to place. Yeah. She likes, she can follow her family, but she doesn't particularly like to. But if people of the clan were to hear her move with them, they would hear the sound of birds. Oh, like okay. The fluttering sound of birds. Because... I suppose you'd have to fly to get there, I guess. Yeah, and they also said that a banshee, don't forget, is, was a, a witch, like a crying woman, a witch, she's a fae, meaning that she can transform. Mm-hmm. She can transform into birds, into any animals, really. Mainly yeah. your dark spirits, like your dark clusters, dark animals. So, like, you, you kashi, you got your, your crows, you've got Snake. your ravens, the dark creatures kind of thing. Originally, the banshee appeared to people who have suffered violent deaths. But there have been reports of the Banshee crying at the coronation of a true king. One case is that of the crowning of Brian Boru, who overthrew the O'Neills and began the O'Brien dynasty. Was there a royal family in Ireland? Yes. Was there? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cynics do state that their stories could be nothing more than old wives' tales. The sounds could be no more of a vixens or owls crying in the woods and forests at night. Which, if you've ever heard the vixen foxes or the owls screeching in the forest at night, yeah, they really do fucking sound like women. They're loud. They're very loud. They're scary. Mm-hmm. And he lives near some woods. Well, so live in some woods, yeah. Or in some woods because he's like the gingerbread man. Mm-hmm. What? It's gingerbread man? a Shrek reference. Um, So you can attest that hearing those sounds when it's dark and it's scary and it's raining. Like munjack deer make a very odd sound. They make like a like a human almost sound. Really? Yeah. Do you want to do an impression? No. (laughs) But like female, like when it's mating season and female vixens cry out. Yeah. It honestly does sound like a woman is getting murdered. Okay. An owl screeching when they're like about to attack their prey. Yeah. It's quite. Yeah, it's quite eerie to hear. So yeah, what are you guys thinking about those cryptids then? Well, I think they're they're obviously folklore stories. Yes, they are. And I really like folk folklore. I find it really interesting because I like Joseph Campbell a lot, who mm-hmm. wrote about yeah. myths and well, you've read you yeah read um, part of some of his work. And um, I think the mistake with those things is to to take them as truth and literal. Yeah, because they often hold things that are more important than that. That tell tell stories yeah. of people trying to understand their environment yeah. or meta truths, you can call them. Yeah. 
So they're, they're more than factual, they're, yeah. they're more important than that. So I know some people take fairies and, and banshees and stuff as sort of literal creatures that exist in the, the world, and I think that's a bit a bit dull, really. I think the, the psychology behind the, the stories and things are far more interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know Ireland and, and Celtic mythology is really rich. In, oh, in, gosh, yeah. I think that's why I love, like cryptozoology as well as the folklore and everything about the paranormal side of it so much is because Wales, Scotland, England as well and I'm not discounting England but they, and Ireland have got so rich of a yeah. folklore and the stories are passed from generation to generation yeah. to generation. Yeah. And everybody's sort of like really so when I, when I went to Dublin um, as soon as you got into the airport there was there was stories of yeah. folklore as soon as you got into the the, the, the crowd there was a, a kiosk that had stories of folklore and that they even have their own leprechaun museum so like they are well into all of that yeah and that's one i think everybody knows basis of leprechauns and stuff like that yeah so it's one that i didn't particularly i might cover it in a future episode but i didn't want to cover it for my first exploration into cryptozoology i mean are those even classed as crypto yeah because they're fae sorry they're fae fae or fairies yeah i I thought i would have thought why are they because i thought cryptozoology was kind of like maybe hidden animals that may have yeah uh, but that it's a case that you don't know well i mean there's they could be folklore but you don't know for a fact that they exist or they well, those, those exist. stories that you told were folklore stories they're not the accounts of um like sasquatch or bigfoot or whatever but for example there are accounts that i've given you for the duagku yeah those two yeah but um, uh, the banshees was the purely banshee a, that was folklore uh, well, purely folklore but then it's in the spirit. So and the other story is got like accounts of or the Irish wild accounts cat. of yeah of people seeing it. But then it's obviously tied to another earlier folklore story. Yeah, but yeah. it was also interesting. So sort of like what was it the lock 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 monster. That one. It was interesting that people only started coming kind of started coming out about their stories once somebody else was very yeah. forward with their story. So again, yeah. it's kind of like. A hearsay, but yeah. it's a, I, I get that, but that's the whole, that's the gem that is cryptozoology yeah. because you you have these stories that could be stories, yeah. but then there could be a factual truth behind it somewhere yeah. that these people did see this creature, but it's that the research and there's not a lot of people out there in the world that are doing research on it. No, because it's uh, they. <laughs> the they History don't... Channel seem to spend a lot of time doing yeah. Bigfoot documentaries. Yeah, Bigfoot. But that's or it. They Chubacabra. or Loch Ness monster. There is a lot of the well-known publicity ones. Yeah. But it's these little ones that might open that door a little bit more, mm. and that's what I want to do. So if I can, I'm not saying I'm going to inspire anybody, but if I give somebody that little nugget to go, oh, I want to find out more. Yeah, I mean, polls with cats was was interesting. Yeah. I want to go and check, check that out. Yeah, definitely. That's I wouldn't call that cryptozoological. If, if it exists, it probably is a. a a, yeah. A now wild um sort of big, big cat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a case of you don't know until you do that research yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And with those I kinda wanted to keep it short because it's only a little one, but I on a couple of those I fell into the hole of researching and researching and yeah. researching and trying to find more information on each one. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it I think is tales that are passed along. Yeah instead of handwritten with scientific mm. factual proof. Well, I mean, a lot of, you know, uh, through it's 
pretty recent we've been able to, the average person's been able to write things down. So stories yeah. were always told through song or around campfires. Yeah. Hence or, the pub in which I was not reading out. And villages yeah. and communities would have a designated storyteller yeah. who would pass yeah. these things from generation. So, yeah. yeah. But I'm glad you enjoyed it as just yeah. a bit of a easy break from ghosts. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. I just don't know why the Irish shoot everything they find. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And I love that you found that highly amusing. It was. I liked it. Well, so, I didn't like it. It was just funny. <laughs> so, right. Um, so that's end of today's special bonus complimentary episode. Is yeah. that what we're calling it? Yeah, the bonus episode. Back next week where I'll be doing a a reasonably long yeah, we'll UFO be back on story. Monday. It's one of, I think, one of the, the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a real. It's meaty. Okay. It's got audio recordings. It's got drawings. Ooh, we can't have audio recordings. We can in this case. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as long it's, as you've checked that out, then we're fine. It's we're got, not going to get sued. It's got everything. People chasing through the woods after things. Oh wow! Yeah. Real visible so representation. I'm looking forward to it. Certainly. We're, yeah, we're still asking for we're still, yeah, we're stories from still people, so if you want stories. to send something in to us. You can send it to crimescreepsandcoffee at gmail.com and we want anything from your own true crime, your own paranormal story, your own UFO story, even anything about a creepy animal that you may not know exists. Yeah. Although I'm really hoping that you guys have got more paranormal than true crime because I don't think anybody wants that shit happening onto them. <laughs> no, yeah. But yeah, our, our listener episode will be along with Nick's. So, and then the one after that will be in a month's time. So get it in. You've still got a little bit of time. And Should we do the socials? So yeah. So you can yeah. follow us on the socials on Twitter at... CCNC Podcast. On Facebook at... Crimes, Creeps and Coffee Podcast. On Instagram at crime underscore creeps underscore and underscore coffee. And MySpace. We're not on MySpace. No, we're not. We're Why not. is a MySpace a thing <laughs> anymore? I spent so much time doing my profile. Yeah, MySpace, I think we all was, did. But it had like animations in the background and everything. Yes. It was a fucking hot mess. And it was, <laughs> just like we all are now because it's so hot in here. Yes, I remember so, when I was just all Avenged Sevenfold, I just bummed that yeah. band all yeah. over. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Absolutely. Well, you can also listen to us on, we're on Spotify now. We're on um, iTunes. What do people do? Do they just search Crime Creeps? Just search Creeps Crime Creeps Coffee and Coffee and you'll find, it will pop up there. Yeah. So yeah. Spotify, iTunes, what's the one that... And any other podcast... Yeah, but what's Cast the one Box. that... Castbox, Box, Cast which is, was our baby. That's our very first one that we were on. Yeah. So got to represent. But no, we're on pretty much any social, like, not social, sorry, any podcast, like, forum. So we're on there. Yeah. Just give us a search. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's uh, it. So we'll see you, well, not in a week's time, but in a few days' time. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you, obviously. We'll speak to you. Yeah, you'll we'll hear us. To you. you'll, yes. We'll be in your earlobes. <laughs> Any final messages to people? Anything um, you want to say? Like something inspirational? Um, Go eat ice cream, it's blooming up. Keep your, keep your eyes on the ghost thing. <laughs> incredibly inspirational open, open your mind to okay we're going now okay, we're going. <laughs> bye. Bye, bye. bye 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 guys bye